Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip Emigwali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, UE St. Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind address the theme, Crossing New Frontiers to Conquer Today's Challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, UE St. Augustine. very much. The computer textbooks of the 1980s told the readers that the fastest computer in the world must be powered by only one isolated processor. On the 4th of July 1989, I discovered that the fastest computer in the world must be powered by thousands or millions or even billions of commodity off-the-shelf processors that we are tightly coupled to each other, that we are identical to each other, and that shared nothing between each other. That discovery made the news headlines and has been embraced by all computer scientists. That discovery is the vital technology that underpins every supercomputer. I'm Philip Emagwale. To discover is to change the narrative of science. In my quest for the Holy Grail to the fastest supercomputers, I focused on the second law of motion of physics that was discovered three centuries earlier, which, however, had existed since the Big Bang explosion that occurred 13.8 billion years ago. Back in the early 1980s, I re-examined textbooks that described how the second law of motion of physics was encoded into a system of coupled, non-linear, time-dependent, and three-dimensional partial differential equations of calculus that governs three-phase flows of crude oil, injected water, and natural gas that we are flowing one mile deep underneath a production oil field that is the size of a town. During my supercomputer research, I re-examined mathematical physics textbooks that described how the second law of motion of physics was codified from the algebraic equation to the differential equation. What I discovered was an epiphany. I discovered that in its most important application, namely the recovery of crude oil and natural gas from production oil fields, that the second law of motion of physics was incorrectly represented 
I discovered that each of the nine partial differential equations within the system of coupled, nonlinear, time-dependent, and three-dimensional partial differential equations encoded into petroleum reservoir simulators incorporated only three partial derivative terms. Those three calculus terms corresponded to three physical forces and none corresponded to the fourth physical force that actually exists in the oil field being simulated. I discovered that those three physical forces could not equate to the actual four forces inside all production petroleum reservoirs. My contribution to mathematical knowledge is this. I corrected those mathematical errors and I corrected them by adding 36 partial derivative terms that corresponded to and accounted for the 36 components of the erroneously missing inertial forces. That was how I invented nine partial differential equations that are the most advanced equations in mathematics and the most important expressions in calculus. I'm hopeful that the nine partial differential equations that I contributed to mathematics will remain accurate over the centuries. The Philip Emma Aguale system of partial differential equations should remain accurate because they encode the second law of motion of physics that in turn did not change since the Big Bang explosion that is the beginning of time for our universe. As a research computational mathematician in quest for previously unseen partial differential equations, my research perspective was diametrically opposite to that of an applied mathematician that only wants to analyze known partial differential equations. In the 1980s, I attended 500 weekly research seminars, with the first half of those seminars occurring in the metropolitan areas of Washington, District of Columbia, and Baltimore, Maryland. Half of the seminar speakers were research mathematicians that came from faraway places, such as Moscow, Russia, Paris, France, and London, England. During those seminars, I observed that research mathematicians either focus their analysis on known partial differential equations that has been described in calculus textbooks, or that we are scribbling partial differential equations that has been scribbled before on a blackboard or coded before into a motherboard. I observed that research mathematicians of the 1970s approached initial boundary value problems from only one direction. That direction was to and from the mathematician's blackboard. 
the iconic Navier-Stokes equations is the favorite system of partial differential equations of the mathematical physicist. Being a physicist and a mathematician and a supercomputer scientist, I simultaneously approached my parallel processing research on how to solve the most computation-intensive algebraic approximations that arose from finite difference discretizations of partial differential equations and how to solve them from four directions. My four directions were from the storyboard of the physicist to the blackboard of the mathematician to the motherboard of the computer scientist and across the motherboards of the research supercomputer scientist. On the 4th of July, 1989, I became the first parallel supercomputer scientist to record the world's fastest calculations. As the first parallel supercomputer scientist, I was mandated to solve the grand challenge problem of physics and mathematics and to solve it by parallel processing the grand challenge problem as 65,536 initial boundary value problems of extreme scale computational fluid dynamics. My grand challenge was to figure out how to chop up that real-world problem of extreme-scale algebra and chop it up into 64 binary thousand smaller initial boundary value problems and most importantly figure out how to subsequently parallel process those computational physics problems and how to do so across my two raised to power 16 processors that were tightly coupled to each other and that shared nothing between each other. In the 1970s and 80s, I walked along a technological trail that was orthogonal to the trail that was walked by the vector processing supercomputer scientist. I walked alone. I walked through the darkness that was the unknown world of the massively parallel supercomputer that was the precursor to the modern computer. Metaphorically speaking, I walked within the unknown territory of the massively parallel supercomputer and I walked with only a small lamp to see by. That lamp was the most massively parallel ensemble of processors ever built. The reason I was left alone to discover how to make an ensemble of one million processors solve one million problems at once was that it was then said that Parallel processing is a huge waste of everybody's time. I walked through darkness and into the light and did so 
with equations. How are modern supercomputers used? Nine in ten parallel processing cycles were consumed by extreme-scaled computational physicists. Their grand challenges include executing computational fluid dynamics codes that had the Navier-Stokes equations at their calculus core, or executing the petroleum reservoir simulator used to discover and recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas, and the general circulation model used to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global warming. At the granite cause of most real-world problems arising in computational physics is the system of coupled nonlinear time-dependent and three-dimensional partial differential equations of calculus that contains partial derivative terms that represented something in the physical problem the equations govern. Parallel processed supercomputing is the formula one of science and technology. The fastest supercomputer in the world is 10 million times faster than your computer. The fastest supercomputer is powered by 10 million 649,600 cores that we are totaled across 40,960 nodes. The supercomputer of 1946 was rated at 5,000 cycles per second that could be executed during an arithmetical operation on a 10-digit number. Today, the parallel supercomputer that can record a speed of one exaflops could be manufactured. The FLOP is the acronym for floating point arithmetical operations per second. Exascale supercomputing is achieved by massively parallel processing at the speed of 1 billion, billion floating-point arithmetical operations per second. That speed of supercomputing is equivalent to a quintillion or 10 raised to power 18 calculations per second. The fastest supercomputer speeds make it possible to create extreme-scale and high-fidelity computational fluid dynamics simulations. Like any technology, the parallel supercomputer is a double-edged sword that can be used to do both good and bad things. The supercomputer is a vital instrument that is used to execute computational fluid dynamics codes that model flow, that model blood flowing through the human cardiovascular system. The supercomputer that can be used for computational medicine and used 
to understand how to increase human longevity can also be used to design weapons of doom. The parallel supercomputer is used to design bombs that are more than 3,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb that was dropped upon the Japanese city of Hiroshima. On August 6, 1945, that atomic bomb killed 166,000 Japanese because supercomputers are used to simulate nuclear explosions over cities like New York. The U.S. is reluctant to sell American-made supercomputers to quote-unquote unfriendly nations. This security threat is the reason the U.S. Department of Commerce vehemently objects whenever Japan sells a supercomputer to a nation that is unfriendly to the United States. This was the reason, this was the origin of the infamous supercomputer denial list that had been in existence since the 1950s when it was against the law to export an American supercomputer to the Soviet Union. This, in part, is the reason that in the 1980s, I was the only Nigerian that was supercomputing within U.S. nuclear research laboratories. My contribution to mathematics that was the cover story of the May 1990 issue of the Siam News, the flagship by monthly news journal of the research mathematics community, was that I, Philip Emmaagwale, discovered nine as yet unknown partial differential equations that weren't in any calculus textbooks. I figured out how to solve those partial differential equations and solve them across a new internet that is a new global network of 65,536 central processing units or across as many tiny computers. I am the research computational mathematician that discovered the fastest supercomputer speed that can be harnessed to solve a system of coupled, nonlinear, time-dependent, three-dimensional, and three-phased partial differential equations of calculus. I discovered how to solve that initial boundary value problem that is posed on the blackboard of the mathematical physicist. I figured out how to translate the partial differential equations of calculus that I invented as partial difference equations of algebra that I coded as a set of floating point arithmetical operations that I message passed to an ensemble of 64 binary thousand tightly coupled identical processors, each solving as many latency sensitive problems. 
I figured out how to translate the grand challenge problem of physics and mathematics and translate it into an equivalent set of a million less challenging problems. I figured out how to translate the grand challenge initial boundary value problem and do so across different boards. I figured out how to translate the grand challenge problem and translate it from the blackboard of the mathematician to the motherboard of the computer scientist. I figured out how to parallel process the grand challenge problem and solve it across the motherboards of the supercomputer scientists. From the 4th of July, 1989, I began communicating my discovery of practical parallel processing to the public. In 30 seconds, my contributions to mathematics and physics is this. The petroleum reservoir simulator that must be used to recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas provides correct answers to incorrect equations. My contribution is this. I figured out how to derive correct answers to correct equations and how to solve those grand challenge equations on a supercomputer and solve them across an ensemble of millions of tiny computers that outline a new internet. Back in the 1980s, I mathematically diagnosed, diagnosed the critical errors in the mass code the petroleum reservoir model that was developed by Exxon Corporation. Some years earlier, Exxon Corporation, some years later, Exxon Corporation merged with Mobile Corporation and both were renamed Exxon Mobile Corporation. The mass code is a complex petroleum reservoir simulator. The acronym MASS stands for Multiple Application Reservoir Simulator. Mathematical physicists at ExxonMobil Corporation and in places like the Niger Delta oil field of the southeastern region of Nigeria must use the oil and gas flow patterns within a petroleum, within a production oil field. Petroleum geologists must use that flow pattern to decide where to drill a water injection well and to decide how many oil and gas production wells to drill. Petroleum reservoir modelers use that flow pattern to know in advance how to maximize the production of crude oil and natural gas that will be extracted from a group of wells and to know in advance how and where to apply enhanced oil recovery techniques or the secondary techniques that must be used
to discover and recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas. At its calculus core, the mass code includes the pressure equation and saturation equation. Both equations are part of the system of partial differential equations that governs the motions of the crude oil and natural gas flowing from water injection wells towards oil and gas production wells. My contribution to mathematics and physics is this. I discovered the critical errors the critical errors that mathematical physicists made when they were solving the system of partial differential equations that must be used to discover and recover crude oil and natural gas. That mathematical discovery inspired me to invent the nine Philip Emma Aguale partial differential equations of calculus. My contributions to calculus has rich and fertile consequences for the petroleum industry and is the reason one in ten parallel supercomputers are purchased by the industry. My contributions to calculus was the reason I was the cover story of top mathematics publications such as the May 1990 issue of the Siam News. The Siam News is the flagship publication of the mathematics community. Calculus is a tool that is used to answer the biggest questions arising in science and engineering, such as how do we recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas and recover them from soon-to-be-abandoned oil fields? Like the quadratic formula of algebra, each partial differential equation of calculus must be derived. The partial differential equation we derived or discovered depends on the fundamental law of physics or the processes or the multi-physics scenarios we encoded into that equation. We discovered the predator pre ordinary differential equations and used them to describe how two species interact. We discovered partial differential equations in mathematical finance. I discovered my nine partial differential equations of calculus and I discovered them by not following the instructions in the calculus textbooks. The discovery is made by not following instructions. By definition, it's impossible to discover parallel processing and do so by only experimenting with only one processor. On the 4th of July, 1989, I discovered practical parallel processing and I did so by experimenting across a new global network of 65,000 
536 commodity processors that I visualized as a new internet. The research mathematician is searching for something never before seen. More often than not, that thing is a published paper which contains no discovery and contains no invention that benefits humankind. In academia, a published paper is rewarded. A mathematical discovery that benefits humankind is one million times rarer and is not rewarded in proportion to the effort required to discover it. For this reason, the research mathematician in academia only asks questions that are important to his career. The research mathematician asks questions that are direct and centered on abstract mathematics, not questions that are central on extreme-scaled parallel processed solutions of the real-world problems arising in mathematical physics. In the second half of the 1970s, I was a research mathematician amongst research physicists and research supercomputer scientists. In the first half of the 1980s, I was a physicist amongst mathematicians and supercomputer scientists. In the second half of the 1980s, I came of age as an extreme-scaled parallel processing supercomputer scientist that was amongst computational physicists and computational mathematicians. That 16-year-long quest was the reason my experimental discovery of parallel processing made the news headlines in various industry publications. Looking back to the 1970s and 80s, I knew there were no easy partial differential equations waiting for me to invent them. It is rare for a mathematician to invent a never-before-seen partial differential equation. It is rarer for that equation to make the news headlines. In the cover story of the May 1990 issue of the mathematician's newspaper called the Siam News, I said that I invented 36 partial derivative terms of calculus. I also said that I invented 36 algebraic terms that corresponded to those 36 partial derivative terms. Those 36 partial derivative terms represented the temporal and convective inertial forces that impact, move screwed oil, injected water, and natural gas, and moves them from water injection wells towards oil and gas production wells. Those 36 partial derivative terms that I invented can be used to correct the critical errors in the mathematical techniques 
that were used to discover and recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas, namely the governing system of partial differential equations of calculus. If uncorrected, those 36 errors will replicate themselves across the trillions upon trillions of the system of equations of algebra that are derived from discretizing the governing system of partial differential equations that were at the mathematical core of the petroleum reservoir simulators that I used to discover and recover crude oil and natural gas. My contribution to mathematics was to install those patches of 36 partial derivative terms and to add them to the ex pre-existing 45 partial derivative terms. Those 36 errors occurs at three levels or as errors in the partial differential equations that in turn become errors in the system of partial difference equations that we are derived from the discretized partial differential equations. They also become errors in the supercomputer algorithms that must be executed across millions upon millions of processors. The new calculus and new algebra that I contributed to mathematical knowledge was extremely difficult to invent. In parallel processed computational mathematics, ranging from petroleum reservoir simulation to general circulation modeling of global warming, the trillions upon trillions of X's and Y's of the underlying extreme scale algebra had their origin from the partial differential equations of calculus that in turn originated from and encoded corresponding laws of physics. A mathematical analysis is akin to substituting thoughts and prayers for experiments across millions upon millions of processors. On the 4th of July, 1989 in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, and 15 years after I began supercomputing in Corvallis, Oregon, United States, I experimentally discovered that the toughest real-world problems arising in computational physics could be solved across a new supercomputer that is configured as 65,000 536 processors that tightly encircled a globe and encircled that globe as a new internet and encircled that globe in the manner the internet encircles a bigger globe, namely planet Earth. Parallel supercomputing is in and of itself almost a branch of mathematical physics, now called extreme-scale computational physics. Without mathematics, 
Computer science becomes computer faith. I had to be a research mathematician to be able to invent the new partial differential equations and the corresponding partial difference algorithms that I discovered. My contribution to mathematics was to discover how to execute them across a new internet. There were two things that I did with my data. First, I copied them from one processor to another processor and I copied them via email messages. Second, I computed with them at the slow, at the slow speed of 47,303 calculations per second per processor and I did so to reach the aggregated speed that was for the first time faster than the speed of any vector processing supercomputer. Put differently, my contribution to extreme scale computational mathematics did not reside on the processor that was not a member of an ensemble of processors. My contribution to mathematics reside on the processor that is a member of an ensemble of processors and also resides on the entire ensemble itself. Yet, my parallel processing experiment had to wait until the 1980s when 65,536 processors became available for me to experiment with. I said that a petroleum reservoir model that runs on three instead of on four forces is akin to driving your car on three wheels. And with the fourth tire deflated. The lesson that I learned is that you must be a polymath, not a mathematician, to solve the multidisciplinary grand challenge problem that is beyond the frontiers of arithmetic, algebra, and calculus. The reason I could move back and forth from the blackboard to the storyboard is that I am a research mathematician and a research physicist. I knew the four forces that define the second law of motion of physics when applied to oil fields and knew that law forward and backward and knew how to encode that law into a system of nine coupled nonlinear time dependent and three dimensional partial differential equations of calculus that governs the three phase flows of crude oil, injected water and natural gas that is flowing across an oil field that is a mile deep and that is the size of a town. To solve the Philip Emma-Gwali equations that are my contributions to mathematics and do so across a new internet that is a new global network of 64 binary thousand processors demanded that I discretize 
the problem domain of the initial boundary value problem. To discretize the problem, I approximated continuous space with discretized space or a finite grid. My new system of partial difference equations of algebra are the discrete versions of my new system of partial differential equations of calculus that I invented. As a research mathematician that is also a research physicist and that is also a research supercomputer scientist, my interdisciplinary knowledge was the necessary tool that gave me the intellectual maturity that I needed to correct the century-old critical errors that I found in calculus textbooks that were written for the petroleum industry. Those errors in calculus found their way from the classroom to the petroleum reservoir simulator used by ExxonMobil Corporation. I should mention that when I discovered that new calculus or the Philip M. Aguale equations, I had to create new algorithms that led to new algebra that also codified the second law of motion of physics. Inventing an equation is like making your words a part of the Holy Scripture. The Philip Emmanuel formula was not for the blackboard alone, nor was it for the motherboard alone. The Philip Emmanuel formula was invented for parallel processing across my 65,536 tiny computers or as many processors that encircled a globe in the way the internet encircled planet Earth. The Philip Emma Aguale formula made the news headlines in 1989 and was highlighted in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal. Eleven years later, that Philip Emma Aguale formula was reconfirmed by then U.S. President Bill Clinton and reconfirmed in his presidential speech of August 26, 2000. The parallel supercomputer is a disruptive technology that gives tech companies some competitive advantage, advantage in their drive for market leadership. The roots of the story of how the fastest supercomputer was invented began several millennia ago and began when our ancestors had no computing aid. For millennia, our ancestors used their fingers and toes as their computing aids and had no mathematical symbols scribbled on their cave walls. For the last 100 years, the word computer was prefaced as human computer, analog computer, and electronic computer, digital computer, 
distributed computer, parallel computer, and supercomputer. A change in how we look at the computer was accompanied by renaming the computer. The paradigm shift in supercomputing manifested itself as a change in the name of the technology, such as changing from sequential processing that began with computing aids, such as the abacus that was invented 3,000 years ago, to the parallel supercomputer that became the world's fastest computer when I discovered it on the 4th of July, 1989. Over the centuries, we changed the ways we counted. We changed from the table of logarithms to a mechanical calculator to automatic computers that used vacuum tubes. And then our computing paradigm shifted to transistors embedded in integrated circuits. On the 4th of July, 1989, I figured out how to record an increase in computing speeds and do so across a new internet that is a new global network of 64 binary thousand tightly coupled processors that we are simultaneously solving the grand challenge problem that I chopped up into 64 binary thousand problems. That invention, called parallel processing, triggered a paradigm shift in how computers are designed and defined. That invention changed the way we look at the computer. The new computer changed from computing only one thing at a time to computing many things at once. In 1989, I was in the news because I figured out how the new computer can solve in one day a grand challenge problem that the old computer needed 180 years or 65,536 days to solve. It's impossible. To fully describe how I felt the moment I experimentally discovered parallel processing, at a visceral and intellectual level, I felt like I was a part of human progress that was bigger than myself. My discovery of practical parallel processing felt like I caught a fish that was bigger than myself. My discovery of parallel processing was computing's equivalence of reaching the top of Mount Everest and being the first person to reach that summit. My invention is the subject of school reports because it is a contribution to the development of the computer. That invention redefined the word computer in the new definition for the 21st century, the computer 
is a machinery that is powered by an ensemble of up to billions upon millions of processors, with each processor akin to a tiny computer that shared nothing. I believe that our children's children could parallel process across their internet and do so to upgrade their 22nd century's internet to that century's supercomputer that should be a planetary-sized supercomputer. I invented a new internet that I theorized as the granite core of a new supercomputer. In 1989, I was in the news headlines because I figured out how to reduce 180 years of time to solution on one computer that was powered by only one processor to only one day of time to solution on a supercomputer that was powered by 64 binary thousand processors. My contributions to geology mathematical physics, and supercomputing is this. I figured out how to compute faster and do so to discover and recover otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas. Back in the 1980s, practical parallel processing was an uncharted territory of human knowledge and a new frontier without a map. The marriage of partial differential equations and massively parallel processing was pretty abstract to grasp, but amazingly powerful. In weather forecasting, solving the difficult-to-calculate primitive equations of meteorology tells the weather forecaster tomorrow's forecast. Back in the 1970s and 80s, to parallel process across an internet was the most complicated concept and the hardest area of computational mathematics. If you are the first person to parallel process and to solve the toughest math problems, you will be ranked as the world's smartest person. Back in the 1980s, 25,000 vector processing supercomputer scientists avoided this grand challenge problem and did so because it was ridiculously difficult to solve. The precursor to the grand challenge problem that I solved on July 4, 1989 was first proposed, was first posed in a science fiction story that was written on February 1, 1922. My contribution to physics was that on the 4th of July, 1989, I discovered how to turn that science fiction called parallel processing that then 66-year-old Albert Einstein presumably read about in the January 11, 1946 issue of the New York Times and how to turn that science fiction into a non-fiction that is the vital technology that makes the supercomputer super. That grand challenge problem that was at the crossroad 
where mathematics, physics, and supercomputing met, remained unsolved for the 67 years onward of 1922. That grand challenge problem was unsolved until I solved it on the 4th of July, 1989. Parallel processing or solving several problems at once upended the paradigm of sequential processing in which only one problem is solved at a time. Back in 1989, I was asked, how is the new computer different from the old computer? I answered, the old sequential processing computer processed only one problem at a time. The new parallel processing computer processed a million problems at once. As a research supercomputer scientist that was on a decade and a half long quest for the new parallel processing supercomputer, my magical resonance occurred on my Eureka moment of 8.15 in the morning of the 4th of July 1989 in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States. That magical resonance occurred because I discovered that my new global network of 64 binary thousand processors that shared nothing between each other can be harnessed as one virtual supercomputer that is a new internet. The lesson that I learned from my discovery of that new internet was that supercomputer wizardry is the craft of looking inside that new internet to change its outside and redefine it as a new computer to invent the Philip M. Aguale formula that enables supercomputers to compute fastest that then U.S. President Bill Clinton described in his White House speech of August 26, 2000. I visualized myself as a cockroach that was crawling along 16 mutually perpendicular directions and doing so to traverse 16 times to raise to power 16 or 1 binary million bidirectional paths within my new internet that I also imagined within my imaginary 16-dimensional universe. I invented the Philip M. Aguale formula and I did so by visualizing myself as the extreme skilled computational physicist that was living in a 16-dimensional universe. I visualized myself as, as the conductor of 64 binary thousand processors. I visualized myself as orchestrating the massive computations that I simultaneously executed on each of my two raised to power 16 or 65,536 commodity off-the-shelf processors. That was how I discovered how to harness the millions of processors 
within the world's fastest supercomputers and how to harness them to solve the toughest problems arising in algebra, calculus, and physics. My discovery that occurred on the 4th of July, 1989, was that the fastest supercomputer in the world must and can massively parallel process grand challenge problems. That discovery made the news headlines because I recorded the fastest speed across my new internet instead of recording it within a new computer. My new internet was a new global network of commodity of the shelf processors. Those processors were identical to each other. Each processor operated its own operating system. Each processor had its own dedicated memory that shared nothing. The essence of my supercomputer discovery was that I achieved a magical resonance and that I broke Amdahl's law limit that limited practical parallel processing speed increase and limited it to a factor of 8. I broke Amdahl's law limit for solving grand challenge problems and I broke that limit by a factor of 65,536 speed increase that I experimentally recorded as well as the factor of infinity that I theorized. Since April 1967, Amdahl's law limit was perceived as the fundamental limit to the speed increase that can be recorded across any large ensemble of processors that was used to tackle the toughest problems arising in science and engineering. Such as executing a century-long computer modeling to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global warming. In the 1980s, supercomputing wizardry was to make the impossible to compute possible to compute and to do so while solving grand challenge problems and solving them by simultaneously sending and receiving 65,536 emails at once. I sent and received each email to the 16-bit-long email addresses of my new internet that was a new global network of two raised to power 16 processors that were along one of my 16 mutually perpendicular directions in, in as many dimensions. My contribution to the development of the modern computer is this. I invented the Philip Emmanuel formula that then US President Bill Clinton described in his White House speech of August 26, 2000. I invented my parallel supercomputer formula to be used to solve real-world problems and used to solve them 65,536 times faster and used to solve them across a global network of 65,536 processors that were each akin to a tiny computer. 
My invention of parallel processing made the news headlines because I invented the technology and I did so by sending and receiving emails and delivering those emails one binary, one binary million times faster and delivering those emails across as many email wires. The parallel supercomputer was theorized as far back as February 1, 1922. But the, but the technology was only theorized as a science fiction. For the 67 years onward of 1922, parallel processing was debated and ridiculed as a beautiful theory that lacked experimental confirmation. Practical parallel processing remained in the realm of science fiction until my experiment of July 4, 1989 that made the news headlines upgraded the theorized supercomputer to a non-fiction. I was in the news headlines because I brought that figment of the imagination called parallel processing and brought the technology from dream to reality. That parallel processing controversy was highlighted in an article in the June 14, 1976 issue of the Computer World magazine. That article scorned parallel processing and mocked the then unproven technology as a huge waste of everybody's time. The parallel supercomputer is an invention that makes the world a more knowledgeable place and a better place for human beings and for all beings. The parallel supercomputer made me a benchmark in the history of the development of the computer. Since the first programmable supercomputer was invented in 1946, each supercomputer manufactured was faithful to its primary mission, namely to solve the most extreme scale problems arising in computational physics and to increase the productivity in, industri in industries that use supercomputers and to reduce the time to solution of grand challenge climate models and to reduce the time to market of the crude oil and natural gas that we are buried one mile deep in the Niger Delta oil fields of southeastern Nigeria. As a research mathematician, I thought in infinite dimensions. I thought in 16 and higher mathematical dimensions. And I did so to geometrically visualize the hypersurface of a hypersphere. In contrast, the non-mathematician can only see the two-dimensional surface of a three-dimensional sphere. Back in the 1980s, and in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, and as the first massively parallel supercomputer scientist, I had to mathematically see the 15 dimensional hypersurface that had my two raised to power 16 processors that entirely encircled a globe. 
I visualize those commodity of the shelf processors as evenly distributed across that hyper surface. The super, the the wizardry of that first supercomputer scientist resides in theorizing a never-before-seen internet that is a new global network of processors and in visualizing how that new internet can be supercomputerized. That first supercomputer wizard discovered that new internet as a never-before-seen supercomputing machinery that seamlessly and cohesively communicates as a unit and computes at the fastest parallel process speed possible. Back in the 1970s, parallel processing was ridiculed as a beautiful theory that lacked an experimental confirmation. I was mocked by vector processing supercomputer scientists who believed that I was attempting to make the impossible to compute possible to compute. The main argument that was used to attack my parallel processing was this. If a global network of 65,536 processors that shared nothing was used to solve a grand challenge problem that was chopped up into 65,536 smaller problems, then the computer spaghetti code for solving each problem as well as the primitive emails for communicating each computer code will fall out like bolts which fastened an airplane very loosely. The skeptics of parallel processing argued that those loose bolts could not be detected until the airplane flies beyond the speed of sound. In supercomputing, the equivalence of the speed of sound is the maximum speed of the fastest vector processing supercomputer ever built. On the 4th of July, 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, I became the first person to break that supercomputer speed record. For that contribution, the name Philip Emma Aguale became a benchmark in the history of the development of the modern computer. I'm often asked to describe how I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered for my contributions to science. I did extensive video shoots because I want posterity to know what I sound and look like. 2,300 years ago, Euclid, the father of geometry, lived in Africa and in a predominantly black city. There is no record that Euclid once traveled outside Africa. Yet it is assumed that Euclid is white and of Greek ancestry 
which is as odd as assuming that a historical figure in ancient Greece, such as Julius Caesar, is black and African. My photos and videos will show posterity that Philip Emma Aguale is black and born in sub-Saharan Africa. What if the Igbo-born slave, Olauda Equiano, who fought against slavery, was white? Would Olauda Equiano have entered into Nigerian school textbooks? What if William Wilberforce was a black African? Would William Wilberforce have been deleted from the Nigerian school textbooks? My discovery of practical parallel processing had been absorbed into general knowledge of the supercomputer. The impact of my contributions to the development of the computer can be measured by yardsticks such as the number of school reports on contributions to the development of the computer that mentions Philip Emma Aguale. On the gravestone, you cannot distinguish between an astronomer that discovered a planet in the solar system and the one that discovered only a rock in his backyard. And by the end of this century, the one million active research scientists will be forgotten just as the one million before them were forgotten. The reason is that only one in a million scientists have an afterlife as the subject of school reports. Those school reports, in turn, are what gave 16th century Galileo Galilei and 17th century Isaac Newton immortality. The school reports on Euclid, the father of geometry that lived 2,300 years ago in Africa, are more durable than a bronze monument of Euclid. Immortality is maintained on the lips of school children. The spirit of the inventor will forever be embodied within her invention. The inventor and her invention are forever intertwined. I am in school reports and I believe that I will be in school reports for as long as my contributions to the development of the computer and the internet remain relevant. For me, Philip Emma Aguale, my discovery that occurred on the 4th of July 1989 of practical parallel processing as the invention that underpins every supercomputer has kept and will continue to keep my name in school reports. That contribution will continue to keep my name in circulation around the internet. I'm Philip Emagwale. The parallels between my supercomputer and an internet is this. My supercomputer encircled a globe that has a diameter of 8,000 inches. The internet encircled planet Earth that is a globe that has a diameter of 8,000 miles. 
both my supercomputer and an internet are global networks of processors. The difference is that my supercomputer, that is an internet, is constructed systematically, while the internet grew incrementally and organically, and grew at different times and places. For this reason, namely the lack of uniformity and regularity, the internet as we know it today cannot be the hoped-for planetary-sized supercomputer that could ever be harnessed to find answers to the biggest questions facing humanity. If such a planetary-sized supercomputer can be constructed by our descendants, they could harness it to solve their grand challenge initial boundary value problems, such as those governed by the primitive equations of meteorology and other geophysical fluid dynamical problems arising in their extreme-scale computational physics. Please allow me to describe the Eureka moment that I discovered, namely that practical parallel processing will bring into existence a new supercomputer that will replace the old vector processing supercomputer. That was the moment that I understood my constructive reduction to practice of the massively parallel supercomputer to be the vital technology that must underpin every supercomputer that will be manufactured in the future. It was 8.15 in the morning of the 4th of July, 1989, and across a new internet that was a new global network of 64 binary thousand processors. Each processor was akin to a tiny computer. I was speechless because I had recorded a previously unrecorded supercomputer speed of 3.1 billion calculations per second. I was shocked and I stared in awed silence and disbelief. 3.1 billion is impossible, I kept saying to myself. My recording of that previously unrecorded supercomputer speed of 3.1 billion calculations per second implied that a general circulation model used to foresee otherwise unforeseeable climate changes that formerly took 180 years to run at computer speeds of 47,303 calculations per second per central processing unit can now be computed in only one day across a new internet that is a new global network of 65,536 central processing units. On the 4th of July 1989, no supercomputer scientist believed that I could parallel process 3.1 billion calculations per second and parallel process a grand challenge problem and do so across the slowest 64 binary thousand processors in the world. Shortly after my Eureka moment, 
it made the news headlines that an African supercomputer genius in the United States has discovered how to solve grand challenge in issue boundary value problems and how to solve them by chopping each up up each problem into 65,536 smaller problems. I mapped those smaller problems in a one problem to one processor corresponded manner and mapped them to my as many processors. My experimental discovery of the massively parallel supercomputer made the news headlines because it was magic, wizardry, and science fiction back in 1989. Because practical parallel processing was then believed to be impossible, every vector processing supercomputer scientist that I told that I had parallel processed a grand challenge problem believed that I had made an embarrassing mistake. For three months, I also wondered if I had made an embarrassing mistake. In the 1980s, I massively parallel programmed 16 ensemble of up to two raised to power 16 processors that each tightly encircled a globe. Each of my ensemble was a new internet that I visualized as my new global network of up to 65,536 tightly coupled, coupled processors that shared nothing. By the late 1980s, I had programmed more processors than any person that ever lived. For a decade, the reality was that the potential to execute the fastest recorded supercomputer calculation and execute them across the slowest processors was on my fingertips. It took me nearly a decade, from the early 1980s to the late 1980s, for parallel processing to sink in and for me to gain the scientific maturity that I needed to solve real-world problems and solve them across my new internet that was a new global network of 64 binary thousand processors. My contribution to the development of the computer is this. I figured out how a new global network of 65,536 processors that outlined a new internet can synchronously communicate together as a virtual supercomputer and simultaneously compute together to yield a 65,536 fold jump in supercomputing speed. I was in the news in 1989 because I figured out how to make the impossible to compute possible to compute. The news headlines described me as the Nigerian supercomputer genius 
in the United States that figured out how to parallel process the toughest problems arising in calculus, algebra, and physics. My supercomputer wizardry resided in the never-before-seen manner that I programmed my two raised-to-power 16 processors. The new knowledge that I contributed to calculus, algebra, and physics. My supercomputer wizardry resided in the never-before-seen manner that I that my two raised to power 16 processors that I programmed my two raised to power 16 processors the new knowledge that I contributed to calculus, algebra and physics is this I discovered how to integrate the smaller pieces of a grand challenge problem and how to do so across a small internet that is a new global network of 65,536 tightly coupled commodity of the shelf processors with each processor operating its own operating system and with each processor having its own dedicated memory that shared nothing between each other. I was surprised to see that my invention of practical parallel processing meant a lot to many people. My world's fastest supercomputer speed struck a chord in people across Africa. In the 1980s, the words supercomputer and internet was not in the vocabulary of the African newspaper. It was then a novelty to read about a Nigerian supercomputer genius who was at the farthest frontier of human knowledge. It touched their nerves that I walked alone for 16 years despite the rejections. I invented practical parallel processing that in turn was a major invention of the 20th century. As a black inventor, I was not allowed to be the inventor of my invention. My processors, each akin to a small computer, did not program themselves. I hand-coded each computer with pinpoint precision and wrote its primitive, its email primitives. I was in the new set lines because I parallel processed across my new internet that was outlined by a new global network of 65,536 small computers. Studying physics is not the most noteworthy contribution to human progress. However, contributing new knowledge to physics such as parallel processing is a noteworthy contribution to human progress. My contribution to physics is this. I discovered how to use the slowest computers in the world to solve the toughest problems in the world. I discovered how to solve grand challenge problems 
and how to solve them in a one problem to one processor corresponded manner and how to solve them after I had chopped each grand challenge problem into 65,536 smaller problems. That supercomputer breakthrough that made the new set lines enabled me to solve in only one day and across my new internet what formerly would have taken 65,536 days or 108 years to solve on only one computer. I hand-coded my parallel processed solution to the grand challenge problem of supercomputing and I did so to deliver the highest performance ever recorded on a supercomputer. At 8.15 in the morning of the 4th of July 1989, I was speechless when I saw the experimental results of my decade-long quest, namely the world's fastest calculation across my new internet that was my virtual supercomputer. To discover a new equation is to gaze across the millennia. My contributions of nine new partial differential equations of modern calculus and to humanity's knowledge of mathematical physics and extreme scale computational physics was the culmination of a body of mathematical and scientific contributions that were made by my, by my mathematical ancestors and made across the millennia. The oldest recorded contribution to mathematical knowledge was recorded 3,700 years ago. That contribution was written in a papyrus and written by Ames. African geometers such as Euclid, who is the father of geometry, were influenced by African arithmeticians such as Ames, who is the first arithmetician that we know by name. Ames lived 14 centuries before Euclid and lived in the same region that is the valley of the river Nile in Africa. The introductory geometry that you studied as a teenager has its mathematical roots in ancient Africa. Geometry is the contribution to mathematics of ancient Africa. That mathematical contribution was historically preserved by Islamic scholars that studied in North Africa. That contribution was preserved across the ages and transmitted and built upon for thousands of years and along the 4,100-mile valley of the Nile that was the birthplace of Egyptian civilization. Fast forward 2,300 years from Euclid. For the, for the record, Euclid was an African geometer. And there is no record that Euclid ever traveled outside Africa. There is no record that Euclid is not a black African. Fast forward from Euclid in Africa to 1989, 
to another African mathematician in the United States, Philip Emagwale. I was the cover stories of top mathematics publications. My discovery stories were about my contributions of new calculus, new algebra, and new mathematical physics to mathematical knowledge. My contributions to mathematics began as a theory or as an idea that was not positively true and materialized as the world's fastest computer. Who invented the internet? I theorized a new internet that was a new global network of commodity processors that is a virtual supercomputer or that could be used to build a new supercomputer that encircled the globe in the way the internet does. Back in the 1970s and 80s, I was mocked and ridiculed and accused of embarking on a grandiose and overreaching supercomputer research. I was mocked for wanting to solve that larger system of equations of, of a new algebra and solve it across a small copy of the internet that I invented. But on the 4th of July 1989, I figured out how to harness that new internet, which was a new global network of 64 binary thousand commodity processors. I was in the news in 1989 because I figured out how to use that new internet and use the technology to solve the toughest problems arising in extreme-scale algebra and arising from the discretization of the partial differential equation, which is the most advanced expression in calculus and the most important equation in mathematics. Parallel processing must be discovered theoretically before it could be discovered experimentally. Nine in ten supercomputer circles are consumed while solving the partial differential equation of calculus. For that reason, to experimentally discover the parallel supercomputer is to de facto solve an initial boundary value problem arising in geophysical fluid dynamics and to solve that grand challenge problem across a new internet that was a new global network of tightly coupled processors that shared nothing, that encircled a globe in the manner the internet did. That was the technological achievement that gave rise to the question, did Philip Emma Aguale invent the internet? My answer is this. I am the only father of the internet that invented a new internet. The, the entire internet that encircled the earth cannot be created at once 
or be invented by one person. I theorize my new in my invention as a new internet, and I did so before I invented it as a new supercomputer that I used to parallel process and solve a grand challenge problem that could not be solved without the massively parallel supercomputer. As a long wolf research supercomputer scientist of the 1970s in Oregon and District of Columbia, and of the 1980s in Maryland, Wyoming, and New Mexico, I had to understand what I was doing. To, I had to understand what I was going to do before I did it. It would have been impossible for me to send and receive emails along my new global network of 1,048,576 email wires and sent to and received from 65,536 processors. Each processor was akin to a small computer. It would have been impossible for me to send and receive as many computer codes and do so without my deep understanding of my new supercomputer machinery. Unlike the 25,000 vector processing supercomputer scientists of the 1980s that misunderstood that machinery as a computer per se, I understood my new virtual supercomputer technology to be a new internet that I visualized as a small copy of the internet. That technological vision of a virtual supercomputer that is a never-before-seen internet was uniquely mine. That contribution is the reason I am often referred to as one of the fathers of the internet. I conceptualized a new internet as a virtual supercomputer. But more importantly, it made the news headlines in 1989 that a Nigerian supercomputer genius in the United States had figured out how to harness that new internet and how to invent that computing machinery as the world's fastest supercomputer. On my Eureka moment of 8.15 in the morning of the 4th of July, 1989, I felt like I was struck by a bolt of lightning. That day, I became the first person to enter into a new territory of human knowledge called practical parallel processing. A common misunderstanding is that a scientific discovery is teachable and that a technological invention is learnable. To discover is to know something that was previously unknown. For that reason, you cannot teach what is yet to be discovered or what you don't know. Nor can you learn something that had never been seen before. The first person 
to do something did not learn that thing from the second person to do that thing. I did not learn how to parallel process across processors. I invented the supercomputer that parallel processes across processors and simultaneously processes a million things at once. When you are the pioneer of the new parallel supercomputer that can do a million things at once, there is no parallel supercomputer scientist to learn the then non-existent technology from. I am the first parallel supercomputer scientist. In the 1980s, I was the only full-time programmer of the most massively parallel processing supercomputer ever built. That is the reason, to this day, I am the only person that published a full-breath lecture series on his contributions to the development of the modern supercomputer that parallel processes across processors. I am the first parallel supercomputer scientist. I did not learn how to parallel process. I invented the parallel supercomputer and I did so by being the first person to figure out that the parallel supercomputer is a million times faster than the vector processor that is not a member of an ensemble of vector processors. As an inventor, my dilemma was akin to that of the first person that flew an airplane. Nobody taught that first person how to fly the first airplane. The first pilot did not have a license to fly. As the first parallel supercomputer scientist, I had to have a deep understanding of my never-before-seen supercomputer. I had to understand my supercomputer, both forward and backward. My command of those computers is the reason I have given impromptu supercomputer lectures and delivered them without lecture notes. The grand challenge problem of supercomputing was not a warm banana problem. This scientific problem was listed by the US government as a grand challenge and it was described as the toughest problem in supercomputing. My grand challenge was to figure out how I could harness the potential supercomputer power of the slowest two raised to power 16 processors that each had its unique 16-bit long email address. That email address was also its unique binary identification number. Each processor had its own dedicated memory that shared nothing. Each processor operated its own operating system. To believe that I solved the grand challenge problem by serendipity or luck is akin to believing that 2,300 years ago, 65,536 monkeys, each on a typewriter, bashed out Euclid's 
the elements that for over two millennia became the all-time best-selling mathematics textbook. At first, and in the 1970s, I visualized the grand challenge problem as 64 binary thousand pieces of a randomly scrambled puzzle. Each piece of that supercomputing puzzle had its unique 16-bit long binary identification number or a unique string of 16 zeros and ones that was scribbled on it. In 1989, it made the news headlines that an African supercomputer wizard in the United States has figured out how to put that puzzle together. I am that African supercomputer scientist that was in the news back in 1989. In the 1980s, my grand challenge was to put those 64 binary thousand pieces of parallel processing puzzles together. I figured out how to put those 65,536 pieces of parallel processing puzzles together and how to do so in 16-dimensional hyperspace and how to do so along 16 mutually perpendicular directions. The modern supercomputer is powered by about 1 million processors. Back in the 1980s, I was the sole full-time programmer of the most massively parallel supercomputer ever built. The reason I was the lone wolf, I was the lone wolf was that I was the only person that understood the importance of the parallel supercomputer. That was the reason supercomputer scientists that won the top prize in supercomputing won it as a member of a team of up to 50 supercomputer scientists that we are supported with a billion dollar supercomputer. I was the only person that won that top supercomputing prize alone and won it as an outsider. The 25,000 vector processing supercomputer scientists of the 1980s abandoned parallel processing and did so because they did not believe that parallel processing should or could power a supercomputer. Who is the father of supercomputing? The father of supercomputing should at least believe in parallel processing that is, after all, the vital technology that now underpins every supercomputer. I am called the father of the parallel supercomputer because every supercomputer parallel processes and I am the only father of supercomputing that invented practical parallel processing. I had to be supremely confident and know who I am, namely a research physicist that was at the frontier of knowledge of extreme-scale computational physics 
and also at the frontier of knowledge and also at the frontier of knowledge of the then-never-before-seen massively parallel supercomputer. I was the supercomputer scientist as well as the internet scientist that broadened his agnostic invention and did so to make his contributions to the development of the computer and internet and to make them to remain as timeless and as evergreen as possible. Back in the 1980s, I was the lone blackface that attended 500 weekly research seminars. Each seminar speaker was a research mathematician or a research physicist or a research computer scientist. Each seminar speaker was visiting from Europe or Canada or somewhere else in the United States. For me to religiously attend and understand those multidisciplinary seminar topics demanded that I be a polymath that is at home in extreme scale algebra, partial differential equations of calculus, and the as yet invented massively parallel supercomputer. If I wasn't at the frontier of knowledge of those sciences, I would have discontinued attending those scientific research seminars and I would not have been the cover stories of dozens of scientific publications. Prior to my discovery of how to parallel process across processors that shared nothing between each other, some research vector processing supercomputer scientists had a one-to-one -one conversation with me. They were impressed with my parallel supercomputer discovery in progress. From the 1970s through 80s, they were impressed enough to describe me as an up-and-coming supercomputer scientist to be watched. That was the reason six American institutions courted me and supported me with scholarships and fellowships and did so for 16 continuous years onward of a scholarship letter that was dated September 10, 1973. After those 16 years of study and research in the United States, my confidence did not come from my winning the top prize in supercomputing. I won that prize in 1989. My confidence in my intellectual ability to work alone and to solve the grand challenge problem of supercomputing arose because I programmed supercomputers nearly every day of those 16 years. I programmed two raised to power 16 commodity off the shelf processors that encircled the globe in the way the internet does. I message passed or emailed across those 65,536 processors and across 16 times to raise to power 16 email wires. I programmed supercomputers for 16 years. On June 20, 1974, 
in Corvallis, Oregon, United States. I was programming the one-time world's fastest supercomputer that was rated at 1 million instructions per second. On July 4, 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, I discovered the answer to the grand challenge question of supercomputing. That grand challenge question was clear-cut, namely, how can I reduce 65,536 days or 108 years of time to solution on only one processor that is not a member of an ensemble of processors to only one day of time to solution across a new internet that is a new global network of 65,536 processors. Put differently, the grand challenge question was how can I compress 180 computer years into one supercomputer day? In 1989, I was in the news headlines because I provided the first clear-cut answer to that clear-cut question. I was in the news headlines because I articulated my discovery of the parallel supercomputer as a new internet that I visualized as a small copy of the internet. I articulated that new supercomputer with a clarity that was a quick retentive. And I did so when other supercomputer scientists were providing extremely nuanced and overly obfuscated lectures. Research computer scientists were committing the cardinal sin of publishing abstract papers that did not explain their contributions to the development of the supercomputer and their contributions to the ever-growing body of knowledge of modern computer science. In scientific research, the search is for new knowledge and not for a journal paper. Writing a scientific research paper is not the finish line, but for an academic, merely publishing a paper is his finish line. What is Philip Emma Aguale known for? My discovery of practical parallel processing changed the way people perceive me. Parallel processing changed the way we think. Parallel processing is an entirely new approach to computer science and one that ushered a new era in supercomputing. Parallel processing was the technology that was mocked and ridiculed as a huge waste of everybody's time. Parallel processing is now the vital technology that underpins the world's fastest computers and that extends the boundaries of human knowledge. For me, Philip Emma Aguale, my discovery of, para, of the parallel supercomputer was my stepping stone 
that enabled me to step from the serial and vector processing supercomputers of the 1980s and earlier to the parallel supercomputers of today. Those serial processing supercomputers became obsolete because they cannot be used to solve the toughest problems arising in abstract calculus, large-scale algebra, and extreme-scale high-resolution computational physics. The supercomputers of the 1980s cannot accurately solve many real-world problems because they only computed in a step-by-step -step serial or vector processing fashion instead of supercomputing in the radically different parallel processing method or dividing the grand challenge problem into one million smaller problems and mapping those divided problems and solving them with a one problem to one processor correspondence and mapping them across an ensemble of one million commodity of the shelf processors that each operated its own operating system and that each shared nothing and solving them at once or in parallel. Back in the 1970s and 80s, my massively parallel processing supercomputer research focused on making discoveries rather than on writing about theories. A theory is an idea that is not positively true. Each year, billions of theoretical papers are published within the field of computer science with none contributing to the development of the computer. A vacuous theoretical article that was never read and that described no discovery is incentivized over a groundbreaking discovery. For that reason, the academic scientist lacks public stature. As a result of that published or perished syndrome, the scientific paper became a distracting background noise. In 1989, I was in the news headlines because I discovered that parallel processing will become the vital technology that will make it possible for the supercomputer of today to be super. I discovered that parallel processing is the irreducible essence of the modern supercomputer. Parallel processing is the most important technology within the supercomputer. Parallel processing redefined the computer and enabled us to see the computer, the supercomputer, in a new light. Massively parallel processing provides extreme-scale computational scientists with the incredible supercomputing power that makes it possible to solve grand challenge problems that would otherwise be impossible to solve. With a market share of $20 billion a year, the parallel supercomputer is used to tackle the world's biggest challenges, such as answering the biggest questions arising in science, engineering, medicine, and business. From mathematics to physics to computer science, 
the supercomputing paradigm has shifted from the single processor supercomputer to the parallel supercomputer. My contribution to this paradigm shift was that I was the first person to figure out the immensely complicated procedure of dividing a real-world grand challenge problem into 65,536 smaller problems and figuring out how to distribute those two raised to power 16 problems and how to map them in a one problem to one processor corresponded manner that was nearest neighbor preserving and how to map them to as many commodity of the shelf processors that outline and define a new internet that I invented. The grand challenges are the 20 biggest questions in computer science. Today's grand challenge questions are more complex than that of yesterday. The discovery of practical parallel processing changed the way geologists search for and change and recover crude oil and natural gas and change it from simulating on only one processor that is not a member of an ensemble of processors to simulating across up to 10 million processors that were tightly coupled to each other. Similarly, parallel processing changed the way the climate modeler predicts global warming and changed the ways the computational mathematician and the supercomputer scientist compute for the answers to their biggest questions. Parallel processing changed the way we understand computer science and changed the way computer scientists understand the supercomputer. Parallel processing changed the way we find crude oil and natural gas. In the old sequential processing way, the petroleum reservoir that is one mile deep and the size of a town is crudely, is crudely simulated on only one isolated processor. In my new parallel processing way that I discovered on the 4th of July 1989, the petroleum reservoir is accurately simulated across millions upon millions of processors that were tightly coupled to each other. For the research scientist that asked, what if parallel processing extends the boundaries of what, of boundaries of what can be discovered? For the research engineer that asked, what's next? Parallel processing extends the boundaries of what can be solved. For the research mathematician that asked, what's next? Parallel processing extends the, extends the boundaries of what can be achieved. Thank you very much.
insightful and brilliant lecture. Insightful and brilliant lecture.